For Your Reconsideration is proudly part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another magnificent episode of For Your Reconsideration, where the world stops turning while your earphones are in, and justice in the cinematic cosmos is adjudicated once and for all. I'm here with my two other interplanetary bodies, Simon and James. How are you boys? Oh, very well, thank you. I'm great, sorry, I... I'm extremely rude. You interrupted me eating a M&S uh, cocktail sausage. <laughs> Shout out to tonight's guest sponsors. <laughs> Got to get it in there. Got to get it in there. M&S is mini wieners. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the cease and desist letter. <laughs> Will we come? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they're, mini, they're cocktail sausages, not wieners. <laughs> Wiener. Excellent. They're, they're great. Also gluten free. So, you know, wonderful. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Not that I care, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just good to know. It's good to know. Um, how are you guys? Are you all right? Very well. Very well. You have asked us that already. Oh, yeah. I've, I've already asked <laughs> I was a bit... Because I, I, I was a bit unsure of tonight's intro. That's why I got thrown there. Because I thought it started strong, but then it lost it the more I got into it. Um, and I, it ended up getting a bit close to Aliens for like, my liking. You know, with us being... You know, but I, speaking of Aliens, have you seen that Sky advert for Christmas? I... I haven't watched it yet. I've heard about mm. it. It made me think of you, though, Rob. Mm. Yeah. Mm. E.T. back with Elliot. Well done, everyone at Sky. Christmas is ruined for all and sundry. Thank you so much. <laughs> what an idiot. Um, what have you boys been watching this week? Sorry, I'm still eating sausages. Uh, yes, I, I've caught a couple of films this week. Um, actually managed to go to the cinema for the first time in ages and went to see the new film from Ryan Johnson, uh, Knives Out. Yes! Ah. I thought was... I thought it was really ace. It is ace. Cool. Really satisfying, twisty, turny murder mystery with like a really on point political subtext mm-hmm. as well. Nice. For those who, uh, yeah. And um, and then with it as well, like Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig might have like just, I, I'm sure it was on purpose, but created the new, like like a new Poirot. Or oh, really? Who, Miss Miss Marple or something with um, Benoit Blanc, uh, Daniel Craig plays, who's, who's uh He's a private detective with a real southern drawl, yeah. and he's very yeah. Good. It's ace. It's it? Oh, excellent! I'd love to see that. Yeah. Have you seen it as well, James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it last week as well, and it's fantastic. Uh, I enjoy it mostly because every time something goes missing in our house now, it's usually at the behest of my two-year-old. So I just come into the uh, front room looking for such and such a things. I suspect foul play. <laughs> I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> so me and the wife are on on the verge of getting divorced because that has been going on for a week straight now. <laughs> so she doesn't want a bad wife like <laughs> so of God no. To <laughs> or to be married to him, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it really, really good. I just think as well, like so many people nowadays like bemoan the fact there's no original films out there yes and, uh, you know what get decent budgets yeah. and you can actually go to the cinema to watch them because a lot of them seem to go to netflix nowadays yeah so yeah please go and see it i think it's done quite well yeah has it yeah great good. that's good to hear really good to hear yeah i think it's um it's jolly good it's jolly good excellent work excellent james what about you mate uh, I managed to watch The Irishman twice in a week, which is, given the running Whoa. time, quite impressive. I thought. How did you find the time? I was very tired. Wow. I was very tired the two days afterwards. It went on late. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and what did you think of it? Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's superb. It's absolutely brilliant. 
Is it? Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you are a big Scorsese fan, aren't you, Jerry? I am, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sort of predisposed to liking it yeah. anyway. But uh, there are a couple of chunky bits where where some of the de-aging, like the intensity of the action that Robert De Niro is carrying out, like where his 70-odd-year-old body can't keep up with the intensity on his middle-aged oh, face. Really? But like, but apart from that, <laughs> they're few and far between and weren't too distracting. I loved it. thought it was great. Oh, that's amazing. I... I, I... Really do intend to watch. I just need to reserve uh, like eighteen hours of my day. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I was flicking through uh, Netflix, and you know how they they have that really annoying auto play thing where it just immediately comes on and plays the trailer. Oh yeah! This is the first time I actually watched it. Yeah. And the trailer makes it look brilliant, so I can't wait. Yeah, to, it's uh, really good. I can't yeah. wait to watch it. It's a lot different than oh, the yeah. other gangster films as well. So if you like using like Casino or Goodfellas as template, he subverts a lot of the stuff in there that you would normally do. It's a much more meditative pacing to it, particularly in the in the final throws of it. It's really good. I I love That's Pacino really in it as well. It's so I can't believe they've never worked together before. Yeah, but I was going to ask, how did Scorsese and Pacino work? Oh, out? it's great because he's just on that right side of shouty caricature like you know where he took it right to the line in heat he's on that line again like so he just plays it perfectly he's great as Hoffer he's probably the funniest character in the in the whole film to be honest he's really really funny nice yeah the cast like I never noticed how many like uh, um, really big names are in it as well obviously outside the big three on the poster but like yeah yeah Stephen Graham's in it as well isn't he Stephen Graham's great he's really good Uh, Harvey Keitel has a bit of a cameo in there as well. Like, yeah, it's good to see him back in a Scorsese film, which is it's been a while. Nice. Yeah, it's, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's a glowing recommendation, there, man. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's probably my film of the year, to be honest. But it was, I think, it was always going really? to be because I just love the man and his work. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to see him working with De Niro again and Pesci, it's it's just great. Just great. It's everything you would yeah. want from that uh, from that collaboration. But as well, I just wanted to shout out because I couldn't go to uh, see The Irishman in cinemas, watched it at home at Netflix, but I did get a, a cinema trip in as well. So I took my boy to the Ooh. cinema for the first time this week. Oh, uh, nice. We went to a family screening of Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon, which is an absolute charm factory of a movie. Oh, oh it's so oh. good. Yeah. Robbie Collin give it five stars. It's amazing. So I'm like, oh, now I'm interested. It, he he loves Shaun oh. the Sheep. Anyway, he watches the uh, he watches it on Netflix and Amazon. They've got all the series on there, and it's quite good for kids' TV because there's no dialogue in it, so you don't want to kill yourself after he's had it on for the fiftieth time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really good, and he was relatively well behaved in the cinema as well. Nice, nice. Etiquette needs some work. Like when Shaun the Sheep disappeared out of the scene, he was shouting out, "Where has Shaun the Sheep gone?" <laughs> and halfway through uh, the movie, he decided that he wanted to go and sample the seats on the front row, so he just got up and walked down there. But apart from that, he, he was good as gold. Amazing! <laughs> first first cinema trip, so good. Nice. Satisfying. But it was a oh, it was lovely. a family screening though, so there were other kids in there, sort of. Although these cheapskates, because it's cheaper when I'm going to go into a big diatribe. Here. <laughs> It's cheaper to go to the family screen. It's like a fiver for every, uh, fiver each. Yeah. And this couple come in. It's like, go and see it when it's on general release. This is for us to bring the kiddies <laughs> to, you weirdos, you cheapskates. <laughs> <laughs> Outrageous. Surely that's not allowed. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's a bit weird. It's like it's like ordering, you know, the kiddies special when you go to a restaurant. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, it's a bit weird that. <laughs> Is that on that Ricky Gervais program? Where he talks oh yeah, to the two 
kids fish and beans and are like, you, you can't. Garbage. Like, why, why can't I? <laughs> you know, the, the, such, I'm such a hypocrite. I totally agreed with Gervais on that occasion. <laughs> 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 if you try and go to a kiddie screening and you've got no kid with you, yeah, get out, get out. Um, there was. Oh, I'm glad it went well. You made me think of um, when I first took mine to the cinema, James. There was no trouble, but I didn't do that, so I took the whole family. And yeah. obviously, taking the whole family, you know, wife and kids, and they want the snacks and everything. It's like fifty quid yes. to go, and they got bored like as soon as. As soon as they got to Arundel in Frozen, which anyone who's seen it knows that's not a long way in. So that's, you know. <laughs> and they were like, right, go in now. So they'd all, you know, I was like, I'm going to stay and enjoy this by myself. And, then, and he you know, bloody well finally did. get to come I'm to the I'm going cinema. to get, you know, it's hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Um, although there's another occasion where someone, I think it must have been there, their kid's first time. But it was a, a screening of Bambi. Um, I was like nine or ten at the time, but it was you know where Bambi was on like a cinematic re-release. Yeah, and yeah. you know that haunting moment where um, Bambi's uh, mum gets waxed. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it goes silent. I've for never us. heard it described like that. <laughs> <laughs> she was iced. like it's a gangster flick. <laughs> yeah, did I go for- <laughs> and you know just as um, the uh, you know the because it goes silent, doesn't it, after the gunshot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you know some some kid, you know, in a really deep accent, like. Is she dead? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You know, there's a moment ruined, like, <laughs> sniggering at the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, kid, she toast, man. She is absolutely toast. Iced. Um, this week, um, I watched, going on with the theme, I watched The Adams Family, the Angelica Huston one. <laughs> and way better than the animated one I saw the week before. Um, and the, the kids absolutely love this one. None of us had seen it. I hadn't even seen it. You'd never um, seen The Adams a... Family before? No, I know, I know. Oh, it's so um, good. Both yeah, they're really great. good. The second one's even better, arguably. I, well, this is the thing. I, it, this one was forced upon me, to be honest, because obviously, like all the movie choices are, but it, <laughs> it was. I only knew this is what we were going to watch that evening because I got an email from Amazon thanking me for the purchase of <laughs> someone on the TV at home had gone bye it turns out Mrs Parker had pressed the button on the telly and that was that we'd bought the sucker so um, obviously I went I got in and went full Basil faulty right it looks like we're watching the Adams Family tonight doesn't it great brilliant the constant miracle of democracy marvellous uh, so, but you know it, it was ace so it was fine um, yeah. you'll have to do the second one this weekend Rob no I know they've already said can we have a movie night and do the second one and um get it in the calendar it's really good the second one uh, my, mrs parker says it's better than the first is that right uh, arguably yeah yeah they're both really good though uh, i can't wait um sadly in these movies i've noticed though that snoop dogg doesn't voice cousin it which is the <laughs> only thing that the animated one has on on these hang on sorry what snoop snoop dogg is in the new adams family movie wow i think i think snoop would reply to that with faux shizzle <laughs> oh shizzle Pugsley <laughs> and I have to be honest there is no way you know it's Snoop Dogg I mean it's a, it's a seamless incarnation he's popping up in all the films these days yeah. he, is. he was in that uh, My Name is Dolomite oh. as well which I, was another oh, was film I watched which was just absolutely yeah, amazing yeah. Oh, it's the most no. wholesome film I've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> well with the word motherfucker in it 400 times <laughs> <laughs> X-rated, wholesome yeah, yeah, yeah. delight. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's not easy really. to put those two together, X-rated. They pull it off. They pull it off. They do it. Do they? They yeah. pull it off. Oh, 
yeah. man. It was really lovely. <laughs> I finished it and I was just like, oh, this is really yeah. nice. <laughs> Ace, man. Uh, Eddie Murphy is amazing in it. Ooh. It's just totally back to his best. It's brilliant. It's when really... you say back to his best, um, that surely means you're harking back to the other film I watched this week, which was Daddy Daycare. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Not Vampire he... in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> no, Daddy, Day- Daddy Daycare is unbelievable. It's so good. Is it? Is it unbelievable? Like, I think you can't believe what you're watching. Like, there are moments in that where. <laughs> James, I, I do have a bit of a, a habit of doing this, don't I? You know, going into absolute hyperbole. Even Eddie Murphy's mum, who's probably his biggest fan, would not describe Daddy Daycare as unbelievable. <laughs> I. D- you know, I've tried desperately to stick to my original assessment. I don't <laughs> think I can do it. it you know, it was... Uh, uh, I've got no... No, I've got no comeback. <laughs> I've got no comeback. Sorry. I can't think of it. No, it's... You're right. I'm looking for a bit in it that is unbelievable. I, just, I love Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I yeah love he's Eddie great. Murphy. So, uh, yeah, I did realise, though, that, you know, my obsession with film wardrobes, I did start subconsciously basing my outfits on what Eddie Murphy wears in that film. I didn't realise I was doing it. Does he dress but particularly well in it? No, no, he dressed like a proper dad. <laughs> <laughs> and there's me, you know, just doing the I same. hope when you watch Dolomite Is My Name, you take the same stance <laughs> and start to wear clothes he wears yeah. in that film. <laughs> I, no doubt I will, mate. No doubt I will. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Just before we get moving on to the main movie of the night, which I cannot wait for. Tonight's movie features one of the boldest openings of any film I can remember in the shape of one very, very audacious one shot that goes on for, I think, is it 15 minutes? Yeah. It's, everyone Something on the like internet that. says it's 20. It's like 12 to 15, isn't it? It's like yeah, 12, yeah. isn't it? it I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I thought that. Yeah. It's um, it is completely amazing, regardless of the length. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, look at us. In terms of its scale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Try yeah, harder. Um, it's been two minutes, only twelve. Yeah, what a disgrace! This, you know, these thousands of extras, you know, <laughs> involved for only twelve minutes. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys what, um, what other, you know, great, memorable, or your favourite one shots you've seen in in movies were. Um, and by one shot, obviously, you guys know what I mean. But in case anyone listening doesn't know what I mean, that's where it's just one. It appears to be one take. Um, so the camera is doesn't um, switch to another camera throughout an entire period of a scene. You know, it gives you that sense of uh, involvement and disorientation, but you also get start asking questions like, wow, how did they do this yeah, yeah. all the way through? Mm, so, um, yeah, yeah what, what, what standout, you know, suggestions have you guys got? So, yeah, so we're talking about one shots where, not where the camera's locked off and it's just a long take, but in terms of there's movement as well and a lot of, different moving elements within there so i've got a few that sprung to mind one of my favorites is old boy Mm, um so the hallway hammer fight which is incredible yeah it looks simple because it's predominantly a side-to-side track but it's just two minutes and 40 ish of bone crunching badass chaos where (laughs) slew of guys just rush at him and he just keeps hitting them with a hammer doesn't he like it's superb yeah (laughs) A couple of others that show uh, shoot out are both from the same film. So, have you guys seen Children of Men? Uh, no, I, I haven't. No, Rob. If 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 all the films we mentioned which you haven't seen, please watch. That yeah, one. it's incredible. It's really. So, so, so it's. Good. I I must so confess funny. that I did. Uh, I remembered. You know, because oftentimes 
the fact that there's a great one shot in a film precedes your knowledge of the film. Yeah. So um, I've actually seen the one shot or one of the one shots from this film already. There are two, aren't they? It's not the same one. There's there's two, isn't there? Yeah, there's two amazing ones. So the one that usually gets the most kudos is the is the one toward, uh, towards the end uh, as the as Clive Owen's making his way through this war zone. And it is really, really impressive. But my favourite one is actually one when they're inside the vehicle because I watched the behind yeah. the scenes on this and they put a track on top of the interior roof of the car and the camera can move in between the various actors while they're having a conversation. And then they get set up, then they get set up on by these. I can't remember what happens in the movie, to be honest. I need to rewatch it myself. They get set on by, uh, by the, uh, like a faction and there's like a car crash and someone gets shot. And then the police arrive on the scene and the camera's whipping in between and the blood going everywhere. It's superb. But my absolute favorite, is probably one of the most famous examples. And I'm going to hark back to my love of Martin Scorsese and it is the Copacabana shot in Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, not only is it technically sublime, mm. uh, it enhances the storytelling, it's enriching the world, the characters, and it really gets across the enticing elements of what being a gangster is for the yeah. audience, which is necessary in that sort of film to build up you know, you have to have the rise before you have the fall and that has to be intoxicating. Yeah. And that re- he just captures that so perfectly in that three-minute scene. And uh, it's so gracefully done. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, I, do- I don't think any conversation about this kind of thing is complete without mentioning that, to be honest. I think it's one of the finest examples of this type you are going to see anywhere. So, yeah, and the fact that, James, you very rightly say that it, it fits in so well with the storytelling. Um, and it's it's not used as a gimmick; it's used as a narrative tool. That is so impressive. Yeah. In terms of my work, so yeah, Children Men. I was mentioning James. Um, there's just so many what like really do spring to mind. But um, in the Tony Jaa film Warrior King. Oh, oh yes! yes! Oh yes! <laughs> yes! Yes! Oh my God! Like that is just it's just a, a, a an amazingly choreographed fight scene. And it's just all those moving parts in that, and the, having the camera having to dance around these martial yeah, artists yeah. who are just kicking seven stages shit out of each other. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and then, sort of similar to the old boy one, was uh, it's not it's not films, but uh, Daredevil had a really yes, good long. That was really one. good. Yeah. Oh, that was in the, uh, on the TV se- show, the, yeah, it did. Yeah, in the first season of that, like, which was first season was great, yeah, yeah. and then it just kind of fell, went off a cliff. But my, my favourite, and again, it's not a film, it's TV, so I'm kind of cheating, was uh, first season of True Detective. Oh, that's a great oh, when, show. Um, yeah. Oh, when whoa, yeah. When Matthew McConaughey is like undercover, isn't he? And he goes yeah. into like some estate yeah. to get a hostage who's got loads of information and he has to get this hostage out. Yeah. yeah. And then during it, it all kicks off. Like someone fires a gun yeah. and then it just goes mental. Yeah. And he's running through the estate trying to get out like trying not to be spotted whilst dragging this this informant hostage out with him yeah, yeah. well like, i remember yeah. watching that and just being like wow this is just i mean that's a there was there was like um vehicles like um you had um Harrelson rolling up in a jeep at diff- you know rolling up in a car at yeah, different yeah, times yeah. throughout that didn't you and helicopters overhead and all sorts it was madness it's so so good and it's like you know that where i mean TV had become to the standard of filmmaking. Yeah, it had, yeah, yeah. Years before, but that just sort of like rubber stamped it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is 
this is as good as anything you're going to get in Hollywood. Like this is elite entertainment. This. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, F, you know, FYI, FYR. I think that True Detective might be my favorite, fav, favorite, favorite TV show of all time. That first series. That first it's season's just, pretty flawless, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's, it's so, just so absolutely good. outrageous. Um. Oh, to add to this, I mean, like, say, si, I, I've put here, I put three films down here that just. When you see it, you just blow mind blown by it. And Warrior King is one of them. Um, at one point during that, a guy falls two stories to his death, <laughs> and you see it all. And then later after that, you know, because they're going up this same circular stairwell, a guy falls four stories to his death in the same take. And it's like, how did, on earth do you do this? But I think it's just like I like watching that because I watched it again a couple of times today, and there are a couple of you know little moments where you know that you like for example like a, a stuntman will lean his head towards a glass window to go through it <laughs> yeah. that bit more yeah you yeah, know that yeah. kind of thing and that's i just love seeing that it's like they're all working so hard here to yeah, make this yeah, happen yeah. and i just I, I can't imagine the pressure of when it's all set and they say right go you know like it's like take one and go you know to, to do a fight scene like must be hard enough when you've got the luxury of editing to sort of chop it together. Yes, yeah. But to take that away and it's just mm. like, it's a dance basically and you can't, it's amazing. It's, it's so, a testament so to Jar as well, isn't it? Because um, could you imagine like, and you know, fans of this podcast will know, I love Steven Seagal to the ends of the earth, but I don't think a one take Seagal <laughs> fight scene would look very good. <laughs> well, he'd be, be honest. he'd be half, out of puff halfway up the, halfway up. <laughs> In that particular, <laughs> <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> he's got an inhaler like <gasps> <gasps> when when he's in Russia and he's uh he's in that uh, wrestling thing just flipping full. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one take. That's that one, take, one take, mate. Yeah, so he could definitely do it. He could definitely do it. So now, now I'm imagining him going up these so stairs funny. like flipping people down the stairs. <laughs> now that now you see now we're talking box office. Um, the other one um that sort of fits into that is. Hard boiled, you know, where uh, Chow Young yes, Fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There that, is, yeah. I just, it's only two and a half minutes, this one, but it's the fact that Warrior King was mainly physical fighting, you know, and moves yeah, yeah. and choreographed moves. Whereas this is like a firefight with guns and the shrapnel yeah, flying yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and what made this one even more amazing for me is halfway through the scene, the two characters go into a lift, the lift door closes, and they both have a minute to tool up, and they actually argue for 20 seconds while tooling up. And then Behind the scenes of this is they're not actually going up or down anywhere. Behind the door of the elevator, the cast and crew are literally taking the debris out in 20 seconds <laughs> and redressing wow. the set in 20 seconds with all the pyrotechnics, pyrotechnics, and all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing all of that. And then the doors open again and they're off and the boom, you know, and the, the pyrotechnics are going so everywhere. Good. And it's one of those, for me, that is just, and that was 92. Yeah, incredible. That technically is just outrageous. But um, one that I think that really took it to... It's a bit one one that's quite close to my heart here is the fight in Creed. You know, the first Creed movie. There's a fight where um, Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed fights... um, I can't remember what his character's name is, but it's... It's It's um, real-life boxer. You know, middleweight, yeah, yeah, Gabe Rosado. And it's one take of a couple of rounds of boxing... And it's just astonishing. It's just astonishing. And it shows as well mm. that, you know, how on point Jordan was for that. 
movie. You know, like yeah. his footwork is absolutely astonishing. Um, they've both they've both gelled really well. The two fighters, they're in and out. It goes from different perspectives. You know, one minute one fighter's on top, then another, and then it goes to the corners, and then it looks down and catches snippets of dialogue from people at ringside while these two are still fighting in the ring. It's just an astonishing shot. It just yeah. really, really is. So um, yeah, pick any of them three. That'll be my favourite of all time. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Whose pick is it this week? It is mine. So tonight we're going to Atlantic City for... Brian De Palma's 1998 conspiracy detective crime thriller thing. (laughs) (laughs) Official genre. Um, So the reason I've picked this movie is I just thought it would be nice to have something low-key and understated on the pod. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, though, I'm a huge De Palma fan, huge Cage fan. So that is the melting pot for me. And <laughs> this is an underrated gem as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm on TV. Hi, Rick Santoro. Hello, Richard Santoro. I'm Ricky! And I am the king! A pepperoni, sausage, Canadian bacon. Listen, why don't you just get to the lunch and save time, all right? Look, I got business. Call me back in five. There he is! There's the man whose life I want! <laughs> And now, the distinguished Secretary of Defense. Great idea. Put a flashing light on your head while you're at it. Why are you so uptight? It's my night! Running security at night. I got a lot on my mind. Watch carefully. That seem right to you? Kevin, that is right in so many ways. No, I mean, beautiful woman alone at a fight. A crime is about to be committed. Now listen to me, Mr. Secretary. I am telling you, you are the one that's going to be sorry. a witness and the hardest thing to spot will be the truth i'm a homicide detective and a material witness you can't hold 14,000 people there's 14,000 eyewitnesses you got 1500 cameras 800 on the casino side 720 on the hotel side what are you looking for exactly when they wanted you to. They didn't miss him with that second shot. Missed you. I'm betting that the redhead you followed is the same person who told Tyler to throw the fight. She's one. Shooter's two. Tyler's three. The drunk who shot the signal's four. Whoever was on the other end of that radio is five. Five people make a conspiracy, right? It sounds like he's conducting a very dangerous investigation. I'm not gonna let you kill her. Please, Rick. You're all alone on this. The house wins. Poor James. Um, could you tell me why? I mean, you've also already sort of said really why did why you picked this one. But when was your first experience of Snake Eyes? 
I couldn't tell you, <laughs> to be honest. I really couldn't tell you. It's obviously a, uh, an at-home one. I might have even... Uh, we discussed this a few a few weeks back, but uh, at our university in the library, they would randomly tape films off the television, wouldn't they? And then just put yeah, make yeah, them yeah. available on VHS. So I think I saw it in the university library for the first time. <laughs> because obviously being a film student, I was massively into De Palma because of the way that he shoots his movies. He's such a showman in terms of the, uh, what he does with the camera. So I I think I was just going through everything of his <laughs> that he'd ever made at that time um, <laughs> and came across this one, and I was a huge Cage fan, still am, unapologetically. Yeah. <laughs> We're big fans on the pod here. Yeah. Um, I've not kept up as much with his more straight to dvd work but at this time in the no. in the late 90s moving into the 2000s it was it was absolute box office for me was Unreal. was this like part of the 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 big time cage era or do you think this was like the beginning of the end of the big time cage um, i'm not sure to be honest cuz it's quite a weird point in his filmography isn't he started it? to get yeah. away a little bit from doing the big action movies so it was on a huge roll at this point. So he'd won the Oscar in yeah. 1996 for Leaving Las Vegas, which is an incredible performance. And then he yeah. just followed it up with hit after hit. So he had The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, and then City of Angels, which everybody in the world owned because DVD players became the go-to item for every household. Yeah. And every household had a copy of City of Angels because you got it for free with the DVD player. Oh, did you? <laughs> I love ah, City of Angels. I it think was it's ace. a good movie. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's yeah. a good movie, man. And he's good, he's good in it again as well, isn't he? He is good in it. So at this point, he is genuinely one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. <coughs> Still is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and I think the way he acts in this film, he believes himself to be the biggest <laughs> Basically, he plays a guy called Rick Santoro, who is basically what a line of cocaine might look like if it became sentient, put on a suit and went to the boxing. <laughs> Do you think as well he'd nick that suit and shirt combo from uh, the back of Caster Troy's wardrobe as he walked off the, <laughs> the face off? They could being filmed as separate play- well no, there's a year between the two movies isn't yeah, it? this yeah. is 98 isn't it yeah so yeah you know maybe the the two units you know his costume <laughs> this trailer just had both costumes in it <laughs> I, I got a really <laughs> great shirt today. Brian I got a really great shirt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sai, what about you? When did you first come across uh, Snake Eyes? Joe, I remember watching this very vividly, actually. I watched it not long after release. Remember the old school Sky Box office? So before everything was really easy where you just had to press a button and it was there. Oh, yeah. And you had to ring a number and be like, oh, can I uh, can I please have Snake Eyes for the 8 o'clock showing? <laughs> yes! Yeah. And then it, you so went on cool. the encrypted channels and, and put it on. I used to stay at my mate's house. Uh, we used to like stay at each other's houses on Saturday nights. We're like 12, 13, so what else are you going to do at that age? I wasn't like one of those uh, people who, who like was out at night in Ooh, parks no. and stuff drinking cider. I was a pussy. So <laughs> I just, like, stayed in. Uh, stayed in with my mate Martin and we'd like have a curry, play video games and then watch movies. And this was one of those movies on Sky Box Office. And, and it's like, you're like 12, 13... I, th- that's the one and only time I've seen this film, and I remember loving it. Like that, my memory of this is that I absolutely loved it. I was a thirteen-year-old, yeah, um, and a, and a film that's a bit, it's a bit hokey, it's a bit style mm. over substance. 
And it, it was just really easy for my tiny little mind <laughs> when I was really... <laughs> I just loved it. And I was like, yeah. It's very odd how I really remember watching it with my mate Martin. Yeah. Having rang ring on Sky Box Office to, to, to order it and watch it. I love like, you know, oh, this. Was, this is ages ago. This is like 20 years know, ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we missed the anniversary. Damn, we could have done a special episode. <laughs> because it was just a special episode. You know, when, you ring up, when you rang up on Box Office, they'd be like, are you old enough, Sonny? My voice, my voice didn't break until I was like 16 or 15, 16. So I, couldn't, I could never get away. Can I have snake eyes, please? <laughs> Oh, don't don't worry, don't worry, Rob. We had a we had a talk boy. <laughs> yes, practical usage. Mister McAllister, like the father, who incidentally is in this. Is in this. And also, that's foreshadowing for a future episode. Boom! We don't just make this shit up, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. I, I always love, you know, like sometimes now, now that I am a father, I do, when I ring up, uh, you know, to book a room somewhere, you know, if it's ever done that I don't do it online, I do happen, you know, try and squeeze in. My name's Rob Parker, the father. <laughs> <laughs> Such a stupid detail that doesn't make sense. You know, as if you're going to be like, my name is Rob Parker, the kidnapper. He's <laughs> four, four people, three children and a woman. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's so cool. Um, I have to finish for my part. I um, this is a first watch, despite being um, a massive cage groupie. That. No, I was not believe it. I used to get Empire, obviously, like we all did. I'm assuming in yeah. the um, mid '90s, and um, I remember vividly um, that picture of Cage on the front when Snake Eyes came out, and they did, um, you know, because the opening shot was very impressive. They did a, a map. In one of the pages of the arena and where the camera oh, went during the thing, yeah. so I followed that and I was like, "Well, I've, I've sort of seen the first twenty minutes." <laughs> so I followed that. Um, Little did you know it was only twelve. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, overbuilt. <laughs> no, I, I, and so then when you said it, James, I was like, "Oh my word, this is brilliant!" And this is like, this is exactly why I love doing this podcast. It's, it's giving me a reason to go back and watch Snake Eyes. And then when it said, um, you know, when I went on Amazon Prime, it said, uh, do you want to rent for three forty nine or do you want to buy for three ninety nine? <laughs> well, <laughs> easy. <laughs> Who do you think you're messing with, Amazon? I do, I, I'm so surprised you haven't watched it, Rob, because uh, I've known for a while like how much you love Kate. I know, yeah. Both of you. I was a convert because me and you, I remember me and you had a bit of a set to in a pub once about Nick Cage. <laughs> that was the funniest oh, thing I've ever yeah, seen. I remember, yeah, man. I remember. <laughs> what geeks we were, mate. You know, like. I'm very surprised. Uh, arguing about very Kate. surprised you, yeah. man. Because this is like pr- prime time. You know, you, you weren't a father then. You had all the time. <laughs> all the time in movies. the world. I thought you were to tick this off your list ages ago. I know, I know. Such a good point. My favourite part about that, I had a highlight from that disagreement, if you wouldn't mind. Like My favourite part of that oh, disagreement yeah. was uh, a point where Rob tried to cool the rising tensions and said, agree to disagree, and Simon just said no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can I just add, we were talking about Nicolas Cage. Absolutely brilliant. It got so heated. Mercy <laughs> Tavern in Sheffield. I remember yeah, it very yeah. well. And... And I, uh, <laughs> I regret my behaviour because you were right all along. <laughs> yeah, I, I might not have put it across in the most you know, nice of ways, but um, well, what no. a fool I was! 
<laughs> I love I love this idea though that we you know I was fighting for Cage's rights back then. Yeah, you know? <laughs> this right to be seen as a as a major artist. Um, <laughs> no, it's it. I agree with you though. How I'd not seen this was a real mess in my head because it's also got boxing in it. Yes. How have I not mm. seen this? So, um, but when I press play this week, it, oof, oof, I was in heaven. Um, so. Guys, how does this one qualify this week? Um, shall I start with you, James? Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, you know, budgetary, uh, budget and box office, how did we do? Yeah, so um, the budget was £73 million and it made 103891 worldwide. Yeah. Although Brian De Palma uh, told Charlie Rose, who I don't think is allowed on TV anymore, <laughs> that Snake Eyes had a budget of £72 million and De Palma said it was completed for £68 million because he brought it in two weeks early, which was good. Under so budget. Yeah, yeah. So not a, not a bad take, but probably not, not amazing. You know, it was... Probably made a tidy little profit. That I think that could be another FYR podcast first, actually. The first film that we've done on this that came in under budget and early. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, absolutely. I don't think we can say that of any of the others. That's amazing. Oh, I, 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 a little tidbit as well on the box office. So this opened in August of 1998. It opened at number two. Do you want to have a stab at what it opened up behind? 1998? Yeah. Uh so I can give you a couple of clues, if you like. Yeah, yeah, this is like a quiz. Give me a clue. So obviously, uh, De Palma is part of the new Hollywood wave yes. of directors that came to prominence in the 70s. And the film that opened at number one is one of his, is also a new Hollywood director. You've got mail. No, no. You're on the right <laughs> lines, though, because it is a Tom Hanks film that opened oh, Forrest at number Gump. one. No, Forrest Gump was oh, way earlier. Sorry, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, save, Saving Private Ryan. Bosh! Done it. Was it? Saving Private nice, Ryan. Nice, man. Yes. That was 98, and that is a fucking oh, yeah, brilliant yeah. movie. That will never see airtime on this podcast. No, never. <laughs> no, no. Far too good. Um, <laughs> what a film that is. And uh, it also opened just ahead of a film that we've discussed on the pod, Halloween H2O, which ah! at the time, me and Simon couldn't understand why a Halloween movie was being released in August. <laughs> <laughs> And now we know it was also released in the same week of Saving Private Ryan's Steven Spielberg film and one starring one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So no wonder it didn't Sensible go number one. The studio had no faith in that movie. It? It's got, the clues of the title when to release it, guys. Nah, fuck it. Spielberg. <laughs> fuck it. Do, you know, on that podcast, guys, I can't remember, did you guys discuss why it was called H20 or H2O? Just because it was twenty years later, wasn't it? <laughs> but why? Hey, so like, well, like water. Yeah, but it it was it was like visually that's what it was. But it's Halloween twenty H H two O because you said H two O Halloween H two O. That's what it's called. Like you, is it you called H two O? So you say <laughs> yeah. you say it as Halloween H two O, but the H two O stands for Halloween twenty. What it's stupid. Of. Hydrogen. Hall- two <laughs> <laughs> Halloween water. Don't worry. Have you seen that new movie, Halloween Water? What a film. That's <laughs> why it came out in August, midst of a drought. <laughs> I got confused. Absolute nonsense. God, I love movies. Uh, <laughs> right, so, um, Sai, what about um, critical reception? Well, yes, this is where it does qualify. It's, it's not a good one. It's not a good one. There's actually a big sort of, like, when I was looking all this up, I was like, holy shit, did not expect that. Oh, so it didn't do too well. Critically, didn't didn't do very well. Like on the whole, all the same sort of complaints as well. Like 
the promise, the sort of opening sequence set out, it never quite carried that on for the rest of the film. It sort of petered out. That was kind of across the board for a lot of the critics. Rotten Tomatoes, 40% average on Rotten Tomatoes. Ah. Audience slightly lower at 35%. Uh, Metacritic, slightly higher on the critic side of Metacritic with 52%. But this was like, I, I don't understand this. Audience... This is I we always say like don't know whether it's the lowest blah blah blah. This is easily the lowest audience score. <laughs> what? One point nine. What? Out of ten on the audience score. <laughs> I was just like, what? One point nine. <laughs> One point nine. That's really mental. Letterbox is a three. Of course it is. Straight down the middle. Uh, there'll be a good review on on Letterbox though. Have you got any good reviews off Letterbox? There always is. Well, I've got a I've got a good one, but I'm going to save it to the end. Oh yes, <laughs> specifically about the ending. Can, can we ask about our man? Did he contribute? <sighs> he didn't. Oh, he, he was on holiday. Sadly. He must have been on holiday. Him. The San the San Francisco Chronicle did not review it favorably. Uh, <laughs> I think they give it one one out of four. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to I wanted to go to uh, Ebert. Yeah, he hated it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he sort of summed up the general consensus really, and he reviewed it at the time of release. Give it, he gave it one out of his standard four, and he said it's the worst kind of bad film, the kind that gets you all worked up and then lets you down instead of just being lousy from the first shot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was pretty much the general consensus. Everyone was like, started off really good, and then it just became, it was just like what just became rubbish and that was just what everyone thought the, so the the what we're getting here is that that opening one take or one shot was so good that everyone assumed that the movie was going to be amazing and it just could never live up to what had preceded it pretty much yeah yeah i think that's that was generally what critics thought of it and then you know i always think this about when you're reviewing films is you you review them on the second half of it. You don't. Re- you don't review. You never review them on the first half of it because yeah. it's your immediate when you come out of the film. It's like watching a football match. Yeah, the t- you you will judge the team's performance on the second half. You never judge it on the first half. No, no, no. You're right. And I think right. that that's probably why a lot of the reviews were a bit sort of harsh because yeah, they didn't give it the benefit of the doubt of how good it sort of opened up because it's that's a third of the movie. It's really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, uh, I, obviously, we've we've all got our own opinions on what it, what it was we saw, um, which uh, we'll get to. But um, does anyone want to have a stab at actually what happens in this film? Because <laughs> I'm going to be the first to put my hand up and say I was a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, uh, Nick Cage plays Rick Santoro, who is a cop, but he's a dirtbag as well, which is established straight away. And yes. this is why Cage is so good. You know exactly what type of guy yeah. this this fella is from the opening, from the first time you see him. That shirt yes. is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Oh, but like he pulls it. Like it, it, hint it of chest hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lovely, the gorgeous hint of chest yeah. hair. What pops and I like how it's so it's so um, iconic on all the posters because the posters and promo art for the film is really quite iconic. It's really well done. Yes. Oh, it's superb. So basically, Nick Cage is at the boxing. He's a degenerate gambler. He's got uh, a mistress. He's cheating on his wife. He's a dirty cop basically, and he's just running around this arena just like trying to get himself ringside for the big fight where he's going to meet up with 
his mate uh, Kevin Dunn, not the actor Kevin Dunn. Someone <laughs> in the cast is called Kevin Dunn as well. He's in this movie. It's so confusing, right? There's a character called Kevin Dunn. There's an actor called Kevin Dunn who's yeah. also in the movie. James, did you hear the story about their hotel rooms? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Can I just, par- I'm just yeah, very go on, quickly, yeah. right? So, so the guy who plays the the sort of the news anchor or the the you know the the TV host. Is yeah. actor Kevin Dunn, um, who's been in loads and loads of stuff. Mr. Whitwicky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then this guy is uh, then the Gary. Is it Sinise or Sinise? I always say Sinise. S- Sinise. Yeah. Sinise. 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 Yeah. yeah, I say Sinise. Sinise. Right, Gary Sinise. It sounds like Gary Sneeze. I can't. Lute- do it. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. Lieutenant Dan's character is also Commander <laughs> Kevin Dunn. To make matters worse. Worse, actor Kevin Dunn has to say, "Oh look, that was Commander Kevin Dunn, <laughs> his own name." <laughs> but when they all went to Atlantic City to film this, Kevin Dunn actor went and said he was Kevin Dunn, and they gave him a massive suite. And then only <laughs> it was a mistake because that was reserved for Commander Kevin Dunn, the character, as in Gary Sneeze, oh Lieutenant Gary Dane. Sneeze. So poor Kevin Dunn. <laughs> Was kicked out of the suite. <laughs> That's so good. That reminds me of a of a. This is like another story. Exact. Well, pretty much the same. A, a chap who I used to work with. His surname was Knowles, and he was uh, he was a drummer for like various bands and stuff. And he was I can't remember who he was drumming for at the time. And they were on tour, and they went. I think it was like Thailand or something. And they were on the a festival with uh, Beyonce. Beyonce was headlining this festival, and they were like playing, like <laughs> you know, one of the like lower key slots. So they all, all the artists, are staying at this same hotel. And he goes up and says, "Oh, I have room for Knowles." So they just assume he's with Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's with, so he's with, he's with his bandmates, and they give him all the keys, and they're like, okay, so uh, you're in room 402, 403, 404. Uh, you, Mr. Knowles, you're in room 907. And he's like, oh, well, this is weird. Why am I on a different floor <laughs> to all these guys? He goes up. It's the penthouse suite. <laughs> he comes out, and he's just like, uh, well, okay, uh, you know, I'll go with it, go with it. He's walking through a big security guard's like, uh, you alright? he goes, Oh no, this is my room's in my room's up here. So he goes in and he he's just like this humongous massive <laughs> for himself. <laughs> Such a, he tells it better than me, because he was there. That is a good story. <laughs> you would dine out on that story for a long while. Oh <laughs> god. And then he uh and then he goes out onto the balcony just to be like, take it all in and just be like, what is going on? Because he does have no idea. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Why have I got this massive suite? Uh, on the balcony, looks to his right to the next suite. Jay Z's there smoking a massive cigarette, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, no, they thought I was Beyonce, like with Beyonce's crew, or something like that. Like, I, I, I know, like a, a white man from Bolton is somehow related to Beyonce. <laughs> Family trees work in mysterious ways. That's all you know, we can assume. So funny. One of the best stories that like, really someone has story, ever told man. me. And I was, obviously, he tells it better than me, but f- fucking absolutely amazing. That's, Such a, a that's good so good. <laughs> nice. So, so good. But unlike Kevin Dunn, the actor, he didn't make himself at home in Beyonce Knowles' suite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He will have had a terrible time when he said that Gary's... I wanted to say Sin Eyes. 
Snake Eyes. Because <laughs> he has Sin Gary Sneak. The sequel. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Sin Eyes. Gary Sin Eyes, Sinise. He does have some very sinful eyes, doesn't he? He looks so. He does. He looks so intense and scary all the time. He does. He does. It's like, uh, so basically, there's a big conspiracy kicks off because Gary Sinise is there and he's guarding a senator who's. Basically, it's the Secretary of State, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the Secretary of State. You're absolutely right. He's trying to get a, a deal over the line for this new missile program that they've convinced the uh, Secretary of State is legit, but they've actually falsified the records. And then they need still need, he's already signed off on it, but someone's going to blow the whistle on it, and that's why the uh, Secretary of State ends up getting assassinated. I hope I've explained uh, that yes, clearly enough. Yes. Yeah, but while we're on uh, Commander Kevin Dunn, do you know the two actors who were potentially up for that role before it went to Lieutenant Ooh. Dunn? No. I I only know one of them. I don't know the, the set. One of them was Will Smith. Yeah, which is mind-boggling wow. to me. Like, he was originally set to play the role, um, but Paramount bolted at Smith's $12 million asking price, which was probably more than Cage was getting paid. <laughs> Yeah, because oh. like, you know, you, you were we're saying at the time Cage was a big star. Will Smith was, yeah, yeah it's just a, it? yeah, because he died. It was Men in Black the year before and Independence yeah, Day yeah. before that? Like, yeah, huge. Yeah. So, and so, did this rob us of a Will Smith Nicholas Cage movie? Yes, it Whoa. did. But I tell you what else, and this is a rumor off the IMDb, so it may or may not be true. Robbed us of something that could have gone down in the annals of cinema. Kevin Dunn was offered to one Al Pacino. Oh, Can you what? imagine Cage oh. and Pacino going toe to oh toe in oh. this movie? <laughs> I mean, but that would be both those actors. But well, because neither of those actors have sin eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. But, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> be, I mean, ma- you know, massive spoiler if you've not seen Snake Eyes. But you know, Gary Sinise turns out to be the sort of bad guy in all yeah. this, doesn't he? Yeah, in the least surprising but, reveal you, of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, but if that's Will Smith or Al Pacino, you're not going to see that coming at all. No, no, that is true. No, no. That's a shame it was neither one of those. Yeah. As good as Gary Sinise is, yeah, you know, yeah, as, as good as he, he is in this thing, I think uh, with his uh, his mistrusting eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sinise, yeah. <laughs> Where's Gas the... gone these days? He was massive back in the 90s. Yeah. He was in everything. And where is he these days? Bring back Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. Find Gary Sinise. There we go. We'll, still, well, that's a hashtag for the uh, for the Twitter next campaign. Find Gary <laughs> Sinise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, um, Carla, is it Gugino? Gugino? Gugino. Yeah, yeah. Gugino. Gugino. Is that, is that how you yes. say it? Thank you very much. I'm yes. absolutely dreadful with pronunciation of names. Yeah, she is great in this, but she is the whistleblower, isn't she? And um, she, she is, is yeah. the whistleblower. But um, yeah. she is wearing, you know, like you're supposed to be. She's supposed to be sidling up next to the Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense or whoever this yeah, person yeah. is. Generic politician, insert name here, um, and she is wearing the most obvious outfit of all: time. a white suit with a platinum wig. And um, <laughs> she may as well have a bullseye on her chest. I mean, she literally, I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, and she's like, take it, please. No, you know, and they argue in front of Cage. And obviously, Cage being the scumbag hits on her pretty much immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what this reminded me of is, uh, you know, like a, a lot room mystery. 
You know where everything takes yeah, place yeah, in yeah. one place and you have to solve it yes. within yeah, the yeah, ca- yeah. within the confines of the parameters of the story that you're given. Mm. And um because of that and I really like the fact that they went with this it's not just like a lot room it's a it's a casino resort and you've got to yes. solve it in this casino resort. And that I I can't think of another film that's done that. I mean, like Ocean's Eleven would be the closest thing to that, but that took place in loads yeah. of different places and tunnels and all that. And, yeah, you know. So I really love the setting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what makes that opening where what the what the internet says twenty minutes, but it's clearly not twelve. <laughs> yeah, minutes. yeah, yeah. Really impressive is that all those things we spoke about the long take shots. Mm. You know, they, they were all kind of you know low key to a degree. You know, this is thousands of people. Yeah, it's unbelievable, yes. isn't this, it? Yeah. Massive arena, it's this big boxing match going on, and that's what makes it really impressive for me. This opening sequence, yeah, how all the moving parts going on. Yeah. You get one yeah. guy in the background waving his knob around like in Teen Wolf, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just ruined the whole. Sh- <laughs> Reset. Reset. <laughs> Although, having said that, Sai, and I don't know if you noticed this because you are in the biz. Uh, there are apparently eight cuts hidden in that opening sequence. Oh, eight! So I don't know if yes. you've wow. spotted them. I assume they're hidden in the whip pans. Yes, yeah, I did. Those, I, I, I think I spotted about four. Yeah. But they're, they're, I think they're really well done because yeah, I yeah. love a I love a whip pan cut. They're my <laughs> yeah. favourites. They're so they're so easy and so old school, but they just always yeah, works, always really it? satisfying. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, like they, they they do it really well. Yeah, so they establish that there's a massive storm outside. We get the geography of the casino slash sports arena. Cage makes his way down. He makes an absolute arse of himself as he's going from running into the various characters who will become important. He's trying to get uh, the <laughs> the boxer Lincoln to recognise him, which is absolutely hilarious. Every time he runs into someone Lincoln new, he Tyler. just goes, yeah, he just goes, I'm Ricky, I'm Ricky. Like apparently that just gets you out of things. He's hitting on uh, on the ring girls. Oh, everything yeah, he yeah. gets down to ringside, <laughs> and we don't see any of the fight at this stage because that's all going to be revealed later on as to what happened in the ring. And yeah. then then gunshots ring out, and then all of a sudden Cage goes from being a scumbag to the best cop in the world. <laughs> yeah, just, it's a total like flick of a switch, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. shuts down the. He had it in him all yeah, along. Shuts down the arena. It's now a crime scene. Takes it off this like. FBI type dweeb agency yeah yeah and then um and then it, it changes his shirt and he's a different guy yeah <laughs> yeah and then so the film sort of plays out then from we get sort of tidbits of what actually happened through the people who were involved yes, in it, don't we? so yeah it's yeah. like while Cage is trying to figure it all out he interrogates various people the the boxer Lincoln Tyler being the first one played by Stan Shaw Mm. And then it's Sinise. Does he do Sinise? Who's like obviously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bounce between really a few, don't we? Because um, uh, I think there's three main ones. I think it's it's uh, Lincoln Tyler, it's Gary Sinise, and then it's uh, Carlo Gugino. It's Carlo Gugino, who's yeah, who's the whistleblower. Yeah. They're the sort of three, and it all goes a bit peep show, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, because it's all um, uh, first person perspective. Those sequences, isn't it? It yeah. is, yeah. yeah, which is quite interesting. No, it is, and it's it's actually really well done because. It's a bit floaty and it's a bit like yeah, it's it's steady cam, isn't it? And it's it's, all a bit, it's very very stylish, like maybe yeah. a bit too steady. Yeah. But I really liked how in that first one with uh, Stan Shaw's character, it kind of comes out of it really nicely. So it's him walking into the dressing room just before the uh, his changing room just before the fight, yeah. And then he's talking to his his lawyer, 
Yeah. And then it goes to a mirror shot, doesn't it? And you see yeah, it in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, and rather than any sort of technical effects, they just do it all practical and go, no, no, we'll we'll just come out of that in yeah, this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So goes to the mirror it? and it's angled really nicely, so you don't see the camera, and then it just the camera just pulls back. Then and it's we're in back to a yeah. normal film again. Can I not? Yeah. Can I be a massive poo and say he looks a little bit on the old and big side for a thriving heavyweight? <laughs> Have you seen Andy Ruiz? <laughs> well, he's not as fat so as him, you know. <laughs> This was one of my like main problems with the film because it it was like exposed like quite early on as well. There's I think there's a bit where Cage looks at a CCTV of the changing room and he's like punching the mirror or something. Yeah, and uh, he's just not convincing as a boxer, is he? He's a big lad, <laughs> isn't he? He's Stan a bad, Shaw, big lad who yeah. has played a, played um, a boxer earlier in his career, but I do, yeah, I don't know. Feels a bit of a miscast for me yeah. this one. I think it's almost like De Palma is. Is probably just telling him, look, I'm, I'm more interested in my camera moves than you looking like a legitimate boxer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's save but, some cash. Yeah, you can't you can't throw that pu- punch like that because you're going to hit the lens, so yeah, yeah, yeah. throw it in this way. I love you how like... you've got this approach and then you've got the, um, uh, the Michael B. Jordan approach of being absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. on point that we discussed earlier on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is fair enough because that is a boxing movie and Snake it is, Eyes yeah, is, of course it is. is not a boxing film. <laughs> You'd be forgiven for question. thinking that. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> that, what, this is one of, you know, we were talking about these, um, like the little segues we go into first person perspective of key characters yeah, yeah. that deliver the story. And this was one of those things that I think that the casual viewer might get a little bit lost by. Because yeah. it pulls the pace of the film right down and pulls the mystery right out. And it becomes a bit yeah. more of a, a quainter mystery. Yeah. And they go into these segments with, you know, nice little slow fades, don't they? And they come out with slow yeah, fades. They do. Yeah, and yeah. it made the film, it, while I was watching it, I thought it felt so much older than yeah. the films that Cage had been in in the years preceding this, like Face Off and Con Air and The Rock. I mean, yes, like The Rock looks yeah. like it was made a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, like it's still yeah, yeah. that crisp and fresh. Whereas this looks like an older movie. It just does because of these techniques. It definitely feels like he's playing to that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's very much uh, De Palma's style. So Absolutely. often makes use of elements uh, and cinematic styles and bears the influence of filmmakers, you know, such as Hitchcock and Jean-Luc Godard. He's seen as a bit of a magpie in that sense that he'll just adapt his style to that. And he's known for elaborate camera moves and one-take sequences, which I think for the casual viewer, that could be really, really irritating if you're not aware of it. Uh, we were talking the other week, weren't we, when we were doing King Arthur about how Guy yeah. Ritchie wants you to know that he directed the movie. Brian De Palma wants you to know that he's directed yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it very much looks and like his film. Can we just add there as well, as a bit of a disclaimer, at no point there were we comparing Brian De Palma with Michael Bay. That that did not happen. No. That never or Guy Ritchie. Or Guy Ritchie. Not that happened. So no, no Cotney's in Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Snake eyes! Uh, Snake eyes! <laughs> cool, blimey, Gaffner! Oh my god! He's a, he's a fucking fed and punch! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know there's Gary Sinny's Sin eyes! <laughs> I don't know, yeah, whichever it would be. But yeah, it is very Hitchcockian, the it whole is, thing, yeah, isn't it? it? Is, Even yeah. the score is very Hitchcockian. It is, yeah, yeah. It's very much an exercise in form as well, and style, isn't it? It More is, than yeah, anything. most definitely. And the thing is, De Palma's coming off the back of the Mission Impossible 
movie, oh, the yeah, first yeah, one with Tom Cruise. So that's why he's sort of got a bit of free reign, I think, on this one, and he's absolutely using it to the max. He is, yeah. Wasn't um, I can't remember the first one very well, but wasn't who was the villain in that one? John Voight. Mission Impossible 1? Yeah. Yeah, John Voight. John Voight. So Jim Phelps, who is the yes, boss of, of course, yeah. his yeah. team in the IMF, who in the 60s show it's based on is like the hero of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. In the first Mission Impossible movie, they basically turn him into the bad guy. Just, <laughs> like, Fuck it. off, Jim Phelps is a national treasure. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a turn baddie the villain. called Jim Phelps. <laughs> It's the most cosy name ever. That's that's the name of the guy you found out was, you know, Santa at your local village hall for 25 years. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It was just Jim Phelps. Um, Jim no, I don't know why people would be worried. Possibly but I, I read I read how uh, there was there was like a theory that ha- they're basically the same movie. Yes. Like in terms of the story, they're written very, very similarly in that, like, Cage is your Ethan Hunt. Obviously, it's not a spy thing, but it's like... Yeah, a, yeah. It's a political sort of paranoid thriller, isn't yeah. it? Yes, definitely. Um, like Mission Impossible. And it's just kind of the, the same, but Snake Eyes is a bit more De Palma flexing his his muscles on how to on, 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 on filming techniques and stuff like that. Whereas Mission Impossible is your more sort of traditional film. Isn't it, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and sure. uh, like uh, Mission Impossible, this one was also written by David Kep oh, as well. So man. Yeah. So basically, I think they would. They just wanted to go and do their own sort of mystery, and then I think he, they reveal that Sinise is behind the whole thing, like quite early on. They do, and yeah. They sort of abandon the mystery element of it, and I think they're trying to get in. And we'll get into this when we talk about the ending, <laughs> uh, because this is not the ending that De Palma preferred, but he got test screenings. Oh. But we'll get to that anyway. And they sort of abandon the mystery element of the film, and are more just about this transition of Cage from not being a total scumbag yes, anymore and yeah. try and make more of a character movie with these really, really elaborate set pieces uh, yeah. thrown in. I really like that, um, that a movie that, um, again, you know, with this podcast, we do enjoy a movie that um, tries something, you know, that doesn't coast. Yeah, I don't think we've done a single movie on this that's coasted, have we? I think, well, maybe Out for Justice coasted a little bit, but that was Click. because of... <laughs> no, Click Seagal went for the fences. Yeah, he definitely coasted. Um, I think, and the film ended up coasting because of Seagal. It was just, please, let's get this film in the can. You know, this guy's an absolute nightmare. Because <laughs> I was very surprised, not that it was Sinise uh, who was the main villain, but be- that they'd revealed him so soon. Yeah, because it's like halfway through. It is, yeah, it? yeah, definitely. And then it becomes a bit of a cat and mouse game where Cage doesn't know that um, that Sinise is in on it, but they're both hunting for the whistleblower <laughs> yeah, at the same yeah. time. And it gives that um, amazing line when she tells him, you know, yeah. that it's him, and he says, no, he's one of the most honourable dudes on the planet. <laughs> and he gets really annoyed with her because she's just dropped this problem in his yeah. lap, basically, which for me is one of the most realistic... <laughs> Um, reactions to getting yeah, yeah. bad news ever. It's like, oh, this isn't my problem. Like now, I'm going to have to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, I am. I was going along like, really happily before. Yeah. <laughs> um, this actually just after, just before this though, there's that really great bit with um, where Gugino goes into the casino and pretends yeah. to be a like a prostitute to pick up a guy that looks so much like Josh Gad. 
You know, like I thought it was Josh, Josh Gad, and I was like, can't be. <laughs> Twenty years ago, can't be Josh Gad. <laughs> so she picks up Olaf and and uh, takes Olaf up to the, the hotel room, and there's this brilliant um, overhead shot across all of the. Oh, what um, a shot! It's amazing, and then yeah, and then really, the, really then good, the camera it? dips into the room. It's just a, yeah. it's such a good shot. Um, and it goes. It tells loads of little stories about. Like. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? it? Tells loads of little stories as it goes across. Um, like it becomes a bit like you know, one weekend in Las Vegas, you see what everyone else is up to, and then uh, you know, comes into her in this in this room. Yeah, yeah, and and the, and they're also like they're not important to the story at no, all. Are they? At What's all. going on in those rooms? It's just a. It's just a really good film technique, isn't it? Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. What, what he does, and yeah. it's really fucking nice. Which Tarantino aped in yeah. Kill Bill, yeah, didn't yeah. he? Quite, yeah, famously. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it came before De Palma did it in this, but yeah, oh, De Palma's yeah. probably I mean... done it about 400 times himself, to be honest. You're allowed to ape. Really you're allowed to ape your heroes. That's how our continues yeah, to move course. forward yeah, yeah. you take what you've seen before and you adapt it into something yourself you put your own spin absolutely on it, yeah. taking it. that's how these filmmakers are as good as they are they're copying their heroes so yeah keep doing it all these people absolutely brilliant um so we plow to the towards the end don't we and uh, it becomes that cage is keeping the whistleblower safe locked in a room as the storm outside is intensifying Gary Sinise offers him a load of money to give up where <laughs> she is. Yeah. He has a moment of clarity whereby he wants he doesn't want to be the reason that this woman is killed. So then he gets beaten up by the world heavyweight champion. <laughs> Ex-world heavyweight champion. He doesn't champion. look like her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is the only stage that he actually looks like a hard boxer. <laughs> this guy, when he's putting little... Cage gets, he gets his ass handed to and him. <laughs> I mean, he looks even dead by the end. <laughs> he looks absolutely dead. And this is just, um, there's this, because I like that scene where Cage goes up to the little office, doesn't he? There's the camera office. And he says, I want to see the footage yeah. from the blimp kind of thing. You know, the, the floating camera. And he sees once yeah, and for yeah. all that it was definitely Gary Sinise. Lieutenant Dan is responsible for everything. And um, it's bad news. And what do you know? Lieutenant Dan walks in and he says something like, don't give me that wounded look. You haven't got the face for it. And I'm like, he's got exactly the face for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he coined this look. <laughs> it was ace. And then he gets absolutely hammered. And I think I sent you guys the photograph of Cage... Like at the end of that hammering, where he is literally dead, just glassy-eyed. Staring. He's not. I, he's not dead, but it's such an interesting choice for Cage to. No, I'll just have my eyes open. <laughs> he's knocked up. out with his eyes open, which is just a great yes. choice. It's so I think that this sequence is really offering us all premium. It is, isn't it? It's it is. It's yeah. so good. Because when he's like, he's absolutely bad and he like turns around to him and goes, ah, you heard like a little bitch. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like... so good. Because <laughs> yeah, I've got, yeah. uh, you know, we haven't really talked about Cage, the whirlwind, you know, because he's actually, he's a bigger, you know, natural force than the hurricane that's going on outside. <laughs> he is just <laughs> smashing everything up in terms of his... I mean, he's swallowing I everything. Know. He's a vortex. Because at one point, like, he is overacting his knackers off. And I love it. Like, I think... Cause it, oh, yeah. Let's get down to... That's what I'm here for, though. That's what I want. I know. I'm with you, James. I don't want I don't want to see someone coast to the finish line. I want to see Nicolas Cage, half dead, going, you know, like... <laughs> 
<laughs> tackling a bad CGI ball outside and all this. So, right, they get down to... <laughs> yeah. He goes downstairs, and, and after they've beaten him up, they put a little tracker on his back, which is going to take them to Carlo Gugino. And, oh, what do you know? You know, he doesn't yeah. notice that Gary Sinise has followed him all the way down. And um, this ball comes along, and yeah. they it makes a van swerve into where they're yes. holding Carlo Gugino. This actually begins to sound quite sketchy at this point. And then, oh, look, it's Gary Sinise being the villain because the headlights light him up and he's threatening them and they hear him threatening her. And they have that, you know, you don't have to do it. You don't have to, you know, you can make it all go away. And Sinise shoots himself, <laughs> I think. Is that what happens? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He realizes yeah. he's lost, doesn't he? Good, so, yeah. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So what should have happened is they had. So obviously, throughout the film, you've had the whole um, issue with the weather outside yes. and the hurricane coming in. So what was going to actually happen was originally a huge tidal wave was going to hit the boardwalk, destroying the arena and killing Gary Sinise. Um, wow. So. Yeah, so whatever. I don't know the logistics of it, uh, but basically that's what's going to happen. So uh, there's a brilliant uh, documentary made by uh, Noah Bambach and uh, Jake Paltrow where they talk to De Palma and they go through his entire filmography. I'd really recommend it. But he talks about this ending on there. So basically his concept was when you're dealing with such corruption, you need God to come down and blow it all away. This is what De Palma said. It's the only way. It's the only thing that works. That was the whole idea of the wave. And nobody thought it worked. So we came up with something else, which I never particularly thought worked as well as the original idea. So he had ILM design the huge tidal wave come in and destroy Atlantic City, killing his buddy. And the studio said, no, what? we're not doing it. But they shot it. So is there a version <laughs> of this film out there with this ending? It might be on the DVD. Oh, we should all buy the Blu-ray. Yeah. You don't get that when off Amazon off you for fifty yeah. p. In the documentary, they show a few snippets of it. Really? Whoa! But would does Cage get killed as well then in that tidal wave? No, no. But then you'll probably notice that towards the end of the film, he meets up with Carla Cugino again, and his life's gone to crap because um, <laughs> he, yeah. he's basically been hailed as a hero for bringing down this conspiracy. But then all of his shady dealings have come out in the in the public eye as well, and he's going to prison yeah. basically for all the bribery so that good. he's been involved in. And he makes reference to the fact that his life might have been better, and people would have thought better of him if he uh, if he drowned in that tunnel. Which is not in the film now. So they obviously shot that at the start. I I rewound it to see if I missed something. What? What? I I went back I went back on Amazon like looking for was there an underwater sequence? I don't remember that at all. I totally missed that. Sometimes I think I could have died in that tunnel. Like when? What? (laughs) <laughs> what, what? What? Yeah, yeah, because it's for an ending to the film that was completely changed, and they'd obviously shot that. And because it's De Palma, they shot it all in one take rather than using <laughs> coverage, so they couldn't cut it out. So. Uh, right? Can we can we talk about this ending? Because I I've got more notes about the ending than any other bit of the film. I think so. I'll, I'll, is, I love is, the fact. Sorry. Is it taken from Cage's real life? I don't, I don't. Yeah, the paparazzi <laughs> hounding him, Rick Santoro. You know, like he's just he was dead one minute, and then the next time we see him, he, he's he's like he's gurning on stage, holding a plaque, like yeah, woo, yeah, 
you know. And then, and then he's, and then the cameras follow him and like, oh, he's lost everything, you know. He's lost his wife and his family and all this. And then he's got the court case and he's losing it all. And I love the fact that the reporters are chasing him and questioning him. He's back to his old mate Kevin Dunn, still bitter about not getting the hotel suite. <laughs> he's still chasing him about. <laughs> Um, and it's quite a demeaning end the hero losing everything I really liked it and it's that kind of ending that you would only get with the bravery of a mega mega film director like a bit like that the Friedkin ending of um, Sorcerer you know where um, boom um, we don't really know whether what's his chops got waxed or not you know um, Brody yeah yeah it's great because it's like you know at the start of the film this guy's He's a bad guy, well, really, isn't he? In terms of in yeah, the he's real a bad world, dude. Life yeah. of it, he's a corrupt cop. So yeah, bad guys shouldn't win, no matter you know what that happens. And that's I did enjoy that ending. I thought it was really good, and how it was all filmed in the paparazzi. Yeah, style. it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was so very good. Kate, Kate Gugino comes to see him on a pier. You know what starts to be the longest shot of un, you know unconsequential construction in any film I've ever seen before. <laughs> And and Gugino says, you know, like, how old are you? And he says, I'm 35, you know. <laughs> I'm 35. Does 35. Look, right, boys, I'm 36. Does, does he look 35 to you? Hang on, hang on. We have to figure out how old Nicolas Cage was. At Actually the was at the time of this. So, I mean, because I'm like, he, he can't be 35. Like... Well, I certainly wasn't as charismatic as him. He was born in he was born in nineteen sixty four. So sixty four would he's thirty four. Yeah, the film bang on. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you are it's kidding a, me. It's, a, it's accurate. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> All right, Sigal. <laughs> You're kidding hey. me. <laughs> well, I'm like this. What about like this? Uh, uh, no way. <laughs> I take it all back. That is unbelievable. I uh, now we're on to the ending. Uh, I'm gonna br- bring in the the letterbox review, which is going to come in. So uh, this was a review by some uh, someone called Seth on the 29th of September, 2019. Oh, so really recent. Matter of weeks. He says this is his whole review. As I write this, I'm listening to the worst song I've ever heard. <laughs> Playing over the Snake Eyes end credits while a construction worker seductively caresses a concrete pillar. Thank you, Brian DePaul. What's how many stars? One and a half. Harsh. Harsh. But if you wait right until the end credits, so what we should say is that at the start of the film, Gary Sinise is distracted by a redhead, a buxom redhead, isn't he? Yes. Uh, A ringside. And she has a big, like, ruby ring on. And if you wait until the very end when they drop that column into place, the red ruby is inside of the column. Yeah. That's it. That's why I, that whole sequence plays out. Over I the mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's that is another one shot, isn't it? That end yes. of yeah, construction workers bit, doing it's stuff. Fucking weird. It's, it's. <laughs> I think this, this is easily the weirdest ending of a film we've had on the pod so far. It's just this. I mean, so how would weird. you characterize <laughs> the music choice over the ending here? What what <laughs> what what, what I'm, genre I'm is it? Out, I'm gonna have to dig it out of YouTube and actually play. Please it. do right. So I'll, I'll, I'll let it play out the podcast, but because yeah, you yeah. have to hear it. You yeah, have to it, hear but it makes. It. I mean, by this point, you've watched Nicolas Cage uh, and Corruption go toe to toe, and then you get this. 
and <laughs> this just does not make any sense whatsoever. But I didn't, I didn't understand why a ruby. What I knew it was in a ring, but is she in the pillar? Is that what they're I've saying? No idea. She been oh yeah, that's country. what they were doing. If you remember, that makes sense now. They were dropping the. Bodies into the, you know, because Gary Sinise oh, uh, killed iced all the, everyone, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah. They were and they were the, hiding the bodies in the columns. Right, right, right. Yeah. You see, right. I don't know how the rubies got through the concrete to be on the outside now. This worries me a little bit because. And the human body isn't there either. No, no, it's just the ring. If it was there. <laughs> I've got, I'm a little bit worried, right? I, um, when we did a little bit of an extension at home, well, Mrs. Parker asked for um, a bit of a bigger kitchen. So we needed to put some concrete down to get a bit of a bigger kitchen over here. And um, one of my longtime family builder, the guy who does all our stuff for us, he uses a um, bona fide Hell's Angel to do his stuff for him. And um, or you know to do some of the the legwork and stuff like that for him because the builder himself he's in his mid seventies, so um, this guy comes over and does it. Uh, and I saw him and I'd known him since I was a kid. And I was like, hey, mate, how are you? I nearly said his name then. I'm not going to do that. Definitely not going to do that. I said, mate, how are you? It's good to see. You. He said, yeah, I'm all right. And he had a bit of a you know mark on his cheek. I said, what happened, mate? You know, like he said, ah, oh, no, just a bit of a bit of disrespect. You know, like, um, okay, <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> you know, and then like. Uh, the next day, you know, we poured the concrete into the thing and he was stood on the side of the thing. And it turns out what had happened was a bloke had come into the uh, into his pub and walked up to him with a pool ball in a sock and given him a whack. Oof. Um, and oh yeah, yeah. And then the following day, um, we're getting six feet of concrete poured into a massive hole in the earth. And he stood on the edge of it, nodding while <laughs> it's going in. Like, I'm like, who is in there? Who's in that? So, so, so if you pull it out, there's going to be a, a little pool ball. Is going to be <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's it? Where's this coming While from? While some exceptionally terrible crap rock is playing, <laughs> <laughs> a little eight ball is going to pop up. No, I, yeah. So very, very interesting. I'm so glad I didn't mention any names then. Um, yeah, these things yeah. happen. Do you know that that song was written by Meredith Brooks, the uh, singer of hit song Bitch from 1997, oh, yes. for which she was nominated for a Grammy and was written specifically for the film? <laughs> it's it's like the, the world's shittiest Bond song. <laughs> no, that was Another Way to Die, wasn't it? Oh, no, yeah, sorry, the second <laughs> shittiest Bond song. Thank you, thank you. Never wait about no, but you ever die, ever die. No, no, no I can't. No, sorry. The one Don't get me that, started. Oh no, sorry. The uh, Chris Cornell, Casino Royale. Cornell's, yeah, Cornell's which is was the eight. best one. Yeah, which yeah. is the best one. I mean, it's in the conversation. Yes. Well, no, it's, it's <laughs> a fantastic song that is. Chris Cornell, God bless your soul. God bless mate. you. In, in my opinion, the best Bond song. There has ever been, and uh, then <laughs> one of the best. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, sorry. License to kill. Uh, oh, for your eyes only is good. For your eyes oh. only is good. Sorry, I'm tangent. There is oh. golden eyes. <laughs> good. Golden eyes, amazing. Um, we used to sing in the. Did anyone else sing this in the uh, in the playground at school? Golden eye, I found your weakness. Put rubber bands around your penis. <laughs> no. Anybody else? No. The original Tina Turner pen lyric. <laughs> no, Sorry, you know we can't do this, Tina. Barbara Brooklyn. Oh, I've lost like, you we both. Can't do this. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I. You know, that song is forever changed as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Especially in 
Tina Turner's like that. <laughs> Around your penis. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the Gold Eye song because it's like uh, they 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 went wow well, Tina we'll we'll send you the the script and you know have a read and then write a song about it and then you know <laughs> so she's just like yeah okay didn't bother and then she sang this song about a man called Golden Eye <laughs> and then it's, the Golden Eye's a satellite it's not a man she's just yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's a bit too late now guys she's like, she's like, guys guys she's singing about a man it's not a man. <laughs> 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 so, gotta put it, it's too late, can't change it. <laughs> I look, you know, like still that is thematically more on point than whatever it is that uh Meredith What's the Chops did for for Snake Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well no, I would say this is the most on the nose song ever. What, what are the goes lyrics? The uh, sorry, I was I was too enamoured <laughs> by construction at this stage. What what goes on? <laughs> What's she talk about? Maybe we should instead of we should just lift our whole conversation about the film and just play the song. <laughs> like, best bit. Yeah, yeah. Can we go? Yeah, should we cut to the song for the synopsis of the film, please? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got to the end. Um, whew, under budget and ahead of schedule. What an absolute miracle that is. Uh, can I have your? Uh, well, I want two two questions for you, please. First off, um, best cage moment. Oh. Well, it's a quick one from me. Uh, it, this is the film. I don't know whether it's the only film he says this, but he says boner in a really satisfied way. <laughs> Where's that bit? <laughs> oh, I wasn't ready for that. was not ready for that. It's when, uh, it, so Gary Sinise goes, he, he, when he gets wooed by the woman in the, with the redhead and he, he goes off and, 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 and that's what distracts him. And then uh, Cage is Oh, he like, does, yeah. He does say boner. And he, yeah. he goes, well, do, do I stop you getting a boner? <laughs> cage boner. So, yeah, that's my favourite Cage bit. He says boner. <laughs> James, what about you? <laughs> uh, I love the quick little monologue that he does when he gets down the front where um, Gary Sinise is trying to convince him that he doesn't need to be in Atlantic City anymore. And he's like, but it's my sewer, Jiminy, and I love it. I kick around about six square blocks. Everybody knows me. I got the whole town wired. Someday, if I manage to get my face on TV a few times, maybe I'll run for mayor or something. But that's as far as I want to go. Because I was made for this sewer, baby. And I am the king! (laughs) (laughs) That is very good. Very, very good. Good rendition. Yeah! Uh, That's not bad. Yeah! Rob, what was yours? I mean, there's so because you know I will enjoy cage walking. I mean, I will find that amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'll find it enjoyable. So I'm going to say, um, you know, very similarly, um, the tears in his eyes when he finds out that Sinise is uh, the bad guy, and um, he, you know, it, the, the little chit chat they have in that little booth. Um, I really like, but I just because st- that leads on to my absolute favorite bit, which I cannot get past, which is when he looks like he's dead when <laughs> he's been beaten up by the heavyweight champ, <laughs> and he thinks that's a normal decision. Like this is what we'll look like, you know. If you're knocked out, like I don't know, have you guys been knocked out? I've been knocked out, and you don't have your eyes open, like <laughs> you, don't, you don't just stare to them. It's like, <laughs> Um, I adore everything the man does. A best cage moment is this film. Um, so, what about your favourite bit of the film? Are, th- are, those, are these two? Are these mutually exclusive? Are these different things? Or do you have a best bit? Genuinely, if, if we're going to go like sort of serious in terms of how the film, yeah, let's my do that. Favourite bit, and I, and I, 
I saw this being mentioned in sort of a negative way on a lot of the reviews, saying how like hokey it was, um, and a bit cheap. But I really liked during uh, Carla Gugino's uh, when she's given her account. Mm. This is actually the sort of reveal reveal in the sense of what she was doing there. Yeah, yeah, and what Sinise was doing. Yeah. And it's all played out in split screen. Yes, of course. When when I rewatched this, I was uh, I watched it in my um, edit suite at work, and I've got like nice surround, crisp surround Ooh. sound. And it was just brilliant how it was like. So Sinise's bit was all on the left, and her bit was all on the right, and you're listening to two conversations going on at once, but you can make sense of it. Yeah. And obviously, it seems really obvious that you would go, "Oh, what we see on the left is on the left side of the audio," but. Like, yeah. I just thought it was really well done. I was just like, oh, this is... That's really interesting. I don't, yeah. remem- I don't remember this bit. This is great. And, I re- yeah, I really like that split screen yeah. bit. I thought thought it was really, really well done. So that was I'd, I'd imagine those little nuances don't transpose that well to things like VHS, you know, which you guys said that you, <laughs> you watched it on. <laughs> James, what about you, mate? Favourite bit has got to be the God's Eye overhead shot of the various hotel rooms. That yeah, is yeah. an incre- incredibly satisfying and quintessentially De Palma. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah, um, find that very hard to overlook um, look that. I'd like to just, before I do a favourite bit, because my favourite bit usually is something extremely silly, I think that um, Carla Gugino, her performance in this is really good. I think it it must have been, in a lot of ways, a bit of a thankless task, this, because she's given both the role of, you know, there's some sort of rather Neanderthal-level eye candy afforded to her role and the Lady in Red's role, you know, and it's not very, you know, those, those actresses, perhaps couldn't or, or you know or, or didn't need to be played by people who looked like they did you know what I mean but I thought Gugino, Gugino took this and went with it and brought a real warmth and depth to this role that perhaps could have been lost on somebody else so I mad props to her yeah. on this one I mean she's the only one who's playing anything remotely like a real person exactly yeah and that's a <laughs> testament to both the passage of time that's gone on from now because you'd like to think a character like that would be more written more well written now um but at the same time you know I thought she was really really good but no to bring it back to my usual you know level of <laughs> favorite bits in films um can we just it's not been mentioned but Cage's wardrobe in this film, even when he changes clothes, is absolutely sensational. <laughs> um, to the point that it's iconic. Like the, like you say, the suit, the shirt. At one point, he has to change his shirt because it's got a bit of blood on it, and he can't wear it if he's going to be a mayor eventually. But he's so, it, it's so, so good. The the outfits in this film. But I love that. Oh no, 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 no! Change it all, change it all. But um, the bit when Cage, covered uh, with his blood-smacked mouth, spits on Gary Sinise's medals and his ribbons. <laughs> you know, do you remember the blood all hits the ribbons and they're like, oh, no, you know, you can't do that. You disrespect the, you know, the Constitution, you know. Uh, <laughs> hello, American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but, yeah, that bit is ace. That, that bit is ace. So, for your reconsideration, what we're saying? James, you go last because uh, it's your pick. Sai, what do you think? As much as we've waxed lyrical about this, I know you know I make from writing this originally may have changed my mind, but um, I am quite unsure about this one. On one hand, you've got some really audacious filmmaking with all the long tracking shots and all those moving parts going on, and technically it's amazing. Um, and then there's a script that has Nick Cage saying boner, um, <laughs> but. 
on the other <laughs> hand, like in terms of the the sort of the, you know the, the the face value narrative sense of watching a movie, there's something a bit almost like TV movie about it. Like it's a bit mm. highbrow TV movie. I think you said before, Rob, that it feels really dated. Yeah, more so than films from that era, even before that era. And it's just like the the story itself could have been like an episode of Columbo or Murder She Wrote, but it's just yeah, it's sort of covered in this facade of a really technically well made film and some good actors. Cage, Sinise, Carlo Gugino is really good in it. So I'm sort of on the fence with this. I think if you've if you've seen it before, um, especially in the last like ten years, fifteen years, I don't think you'll get anything else from it to watch it again. But if it's a film what's passed you by like you, Rob, um, yep. and you have a penchant for Nick Cage like you, Rob, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and you do, you are sort of, when you watch a movie, you're looking out for the sort of technical way, you know, the technical side of it, and, you know, you're impressed by how things are done and the craft of it, then, yeah, there's there's more than enough to impress you, I think. So, yeah, I'm on the fence, I think. I think I've... <sighs> Plenty of reasons for to, for reconsideration, reasons for for not reconsideration. So interesting. Um, I agree with everything you've said there, Sai. Um, although I'm I'm a little bit softer because of the extent of the cage love. Uh, <laughs> um, totally. Um, I think the film looks beautiful. It's beautifully made. I will definitely be saying yes. Reconsider this without question. Um, and go and watch it. This was a first watch for me. I really enjoyed watching it. But that link you made, Sai, with um, like Miss Marple and Diagnosis Murder and stuff like that. I don't actually know whether you said Diagnosis Murder, but it felt like you did. Um, those those fades and those little shifts of sort of language shifts of perspective gave it that sort of quality. Um, but I'm all for filmmakers, certainly of the talent and quality of uh, De Palma. Um, going for it and trying something and delivering a film in the way that they want to deliver a film because it's it's completely watchable. I think the only thing that lets things down lets this movie down is pretty much the narrative, in that we are given the mystery away pretty early on, and from there it's more a question of whether Cage can handle the fact that he knows his mate is a complete scumbag. But nevertheless, the stories behind it are great. Cage is amazing. Gugino's amazing. Sinise is being snake eyes. <laughs> it's 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 great. Go and enjoy. Have fun. And um, even if you only watch the first um, 12 minutes, not 20, uh, 12, then you'll enjoy it. <laughs> James, what about you, man? Uh, yes. Yeah, so obviously yeah. it's my pick. And I, I, I agree with what you guys have said there. So without a doubt, it's style over substance. But the style is incredible mm, for me. Mm, mm. People, nobody else makes movies like this anymore. Uh, the yeah. plot is largely hokum, but when hokum is put on screen with such technical prowess and audacity, I can't help but be impressed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Subtlety is not the name of the game here. Everyone <laughs> is turned all the way up to 11 and having a lovely old time. <laughs> uh, and at a swift 98 minutes, it doesn't outstay its welcome. That's true, that's true. Yeah. Granted, your mileage may vary based on your tolerance for cage-based buffoonery, but Wild Man <laughs> Cage is exactly what I'm here for. He's not a buffoon, James. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd compare the film to an indulgent sickly ice cream sundae you couldn't eat it for every meal but I'll be damned if it isn't satisfying on occasion <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest with you I haven't watched a De Palma film since Mission to Mars which which wasn't for me 
but on the basis of rewatching this, I might give some of his recent work a look despite the insipid reviews. So uh, basically, I'm saying De Palma might be back on the pod sooner than we think. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so is that, I mean, that is two recommendations and one sort of halvesy halvesy a little yes. bit there. Yes. Nice. I like it. I like it. This is it. This is about discovery. Um, Superboys, absolutely love that. Um, let's keep this. Ca- I mean, when can we have Cage back on the pod? Basically, was this um, the first Cage film we've done? <laughs> no, no, we did Knowing. Oh, I wasn't there for that one. Oh, is that the one knowing. you went there? Oh man, uh, that was uh, a good one, though. That was a good one. But this is the first one we've done together. Yes. Oh, oh it will always be treasured yes, in the belly big. of. We have to. We have to uh, space it out slightly. I think uh, a lot of a little bit of Cage goes a long way. To be honest, so well, no, we'll, I think uh, I think whoever we'll needs him again you know, in a few months. When we're looking at who needs to come back, Van Damme is due. Oof. He is due. Yes, he is. Yeah. Well, Hold on, twenty twenty six episodes later, and we. I know. I know. We've, I know. we've just had the odd reference of crisp Timberland boots. Well, we haven't in the last few episodes, but um, you know, frantically scrabbling away for no, no one has a terrible mullet in this film. No one's got any crisp Timberlands. Um, no one gets roundhouse kicked in the face. No one gets mugged. The workman at the end might have some crisp. Yes, yes. There's some lovely stonewashed denim. Bingo, we got it. Simon, you are my hero. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. You lovely people. Send salutations, uh, as we said before, on Twitter at FYR Film Pod. Send us emails at reconsiderpod at gmail.com and deliver five stars via Carrier Pigeon to your podcast listening thingy of choice. Um, can I carry a pigeon? Carry five stars. Now's the time to find out. Say goodbye, boys. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. I cannot believe that Cage is 34 in that film. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'm 34 next year. Maybe I should buy one of those suits. <laughs> well, that's the age <laughs> yes, to carry it. Absolutely. You know, obviously. <laughs> in this town of pain You could be the lucky one Turns on a dime The only thing that will change Are the lights will make it brighter They replace the sun Jack!